Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a podcast hosted by Keisha and Denise, two friends who share intimate conversations about alcohol and drug use, struggling with sobriety, and our personal paths to wellness. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Done With Debauchery podcast. This week we're joined by our first ever guest on the show. This interview was recorded over Zoom, so the audio is a little different than usual, but we hope you enjoy the episode. Let's get into it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Done With Debauchery podcast. We are so excited today to have a special guest on. Uh, We have with us today, Nicole Wirth. She is the CEO of wildlyalive.com and host of the Same Team podcast. Their mission is to help women get on the same team as your body so that you can look and feel your best. We're so excited to have you, Nicole. Welcome. Yeah, I'm excited about this conversation. It's going to be juicy. (laughs) Great, great. We also have Keisha here, obviously. I totally left her out of that. (laughs) Hello, hello. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so we'll just jump into it. Um, Nicole, I think like a really good place to start is maybe to get your personal opinion on what addiction is. Yeah, gosh. Like just thinking about like, oh, okay, if I had to define it, I think... I would have to like marinate on that for a minute, but what that makes me think about is like, what is my relationship with addiction? And, you know, I was raised by two addicts um, in many different facets of addiction. If it's drugs and alcohol and work, you know, like definitely. And so what I realized is that that quickly became one of my own issues of addiction to, I was like the, the overachiever, you know, like they say with, um, not AA, but um, children of alcoholics, that you can take on like a certain archetype. And I definitely took on an archetype of an overachiever. And so I kept myself incredibly busy to avoid the addiction within my home. And um, it was multi-layered, you know, and it kept on kind of rolling over. I was definitely just addicted to busyness right away. Like I had had multiple jobs by the time I was 14. I was the overachiever. I was always trying to, you know, do really good in school to try to like prove my attention, um, prove that I was worth my parents' attention. And of course, I didn't know that at the time, but now looking back on it, I realized that. And then eventually my addiction started to to, um, seep into, yeah, drugs and alcohol. And then my body very much my body and food and exercise. And that became a huge addiction that, you know, something that was born out of that was um, wildly alive, which is really beautiful. But even as I healed my relationship with my body and food, I still had to look at the underlying issue of addiction with busyness, with workaholism, with perfectionism, right? And so it's really multifaceted and and really complex, which I'm excited to talk about this because I've definitely really looked at my own addictions and how they've rolled over and where I continue to do that work because it is something you have to constantly be aware of, I feel like. Yeah, I love everything you just said and and I can really relate to a lot of it. I think when a lot of people think of addiction and they immediately go to substances, but 
there are like addictive behaviors like overworking or overachieving that can be the same kind of bottom of pits of trying to like fill um, that we see with a lot of like, you know, traditional more substance use addictions that people think of. And I love how also you've kind of like really outlined how addictions can like roll over from one thing to the other and even into aspects of our life that we traditionally would view as healthy, like fitness and food and, um, you know, just well-being overall, like that in and of itself can become its own kind of addictive behavior. Yeah. And that's where I feel like many people, many people get turned off by the health and fitness industry, because what we see is this like swing, you know, like, and so that was me, like I wasn't, you know, wasn't raised healthy. I, you know, could eat a Big Mac in under a minute. Like I was like, you know, I was not, I was not like a healthy person and exercise and do any of that. Didn't really know what a vegetable was. And then I gained weight and I started dieting and I did this full on swing where I became obsessed with being healthy. I was obsessed with exactly what I ate and what, what I didn't eat and how I would make that up later and going to the gym and making sure I went to the gym extra if I ate something that I wasn't supposed to that day. And it was just like this, this constant obsession in my mind. It was, it was, and it was really unhealthy. And I feel like this is where a lot of people are is they are watching these health freaks and thinking, well, I really want to feel better in my body, but <laughs> that's what it's going to look like. I don't want that. And so I teach a lot of like moderation and balance and being able to be healthy and free and relaxed and peaceful at the same time. And it doesn't, doesn't necessarily need to lead into this obsessive behavior. And I personally identify with like almost all the things you said so much. I had my first job when I was 14 as well. I've always consistently like been employed, working full time, been like very independent in that sense. And at a young age, I too was like experimenting with drugs and alcohol. And then I got into modeling around the age of like 15, 16. And for me, that was really a very pivotal moment in my relationship with my body and just kind of looking at it and feeling just like so uncomfortable and always trying to moderate what I ate, exercising two or three times a day to try to like attain this idealistic body type. And it's like an ongoing struggle that even now, like I'm 31, I'm still, I'm still struggling with that. And I think that the saying that we see so much is like, you should be exercising because you love your body, not because you hate it is like, something that almost like feels like perfectly in line with what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something, one of the foundational philosophies of wildly alive is respect-based change as opposed to shame-based change, because this is where most diet culture and, you know, wellness is now just a term that is, it's just as toxic as diet culture. And is that there's like this, oh, if you hate your butt, you should just do more squats. Or if you hate your stomach, then it's like very, it's all rooted in shame as opposed to that quote, you know, like I, I move my body on a regular basis because it makes me feel good Mm -hmm. and I deserve to feel good. So it's based in respect. And so it's a whole different dynamic, even with food. It's like, you know, you're reaching for that fourth cookie are you telling yourself, oh, you shouldn't eat that fourth cookie because, you know, it's going to make your ass jiggle tomorrow. Don't do it. Or are you choosing not to eat the fourth cookie because you're honest with yourself that if you ate more, you'd probably feel like crap. Right. And so it's like, it's a whole different conversation around, 
your body and yes, being healthy, but from a place of respect, not from a place of manipulation of your body. Uh, when I was in modeling, the the woman who ran the agency, her like favorite saying was once on the lips, twice on the hips. And like that, <laughs> it's so bad. And at the time, like I was underage. And yeah, it's like instead of like acknowledging that, like, actually, I am going to feel tired. I'm going to feel gross in my body from indulging in these foods. Like the reasoning behind trying to control the behavior is another toxic reason. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it can get, it's very, uh, you know, in terms of addiction, I feel like health, I think so many people within the health industry are lost in disordered eating and disordered exercising that they don't even see it. And that was me. I was a personal trainer. And so I was teaching this stuff, you know, like I was giving out blueprint plans and I was telling them to eat the diet bars and the diet shakes. And I thought that's just what you needed to do to be healthy. Like I didn't know that there was a better way until I had done it long enough and I was tired. And I, my last straw was I got a breast augmentation and I did it for all the wrong reasons. Mm. And I came out of the surgery thinking, okay, you have no reason to be unhappy with your body now. And a few weeks after surgery, I was trying everything on in my closet and everything made me look fat. And I was like, what like this, okay, this is obviously a deeper issue here. Like it was very clear. It was like, I just went under the knife to get rid of this perpetuating thought that you need to be more perfect and you need to look better or whatever. And I was like, and I did it. And I was still just like, still felt felt that. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of women can relate with what you're saying and you get completely obsessed and consumed by like what you're eating. And it's almost like there's like this illusion of happiness when you get somewhere or worth, you know, other than where you are. And I don't know if it's like, you know, totally fueled by what you see in the media or, you know, like it's just an inability to be, you know, to be present with what's happening for you now that kind of propels you into this future state that's going to give you this false sense of happiness, like, because you're forever chasing. So I think what you've said is, is so true. It's that like, you're no matter what you do, you never get to the destination uh, of fulfillment and whatever fulfillment is for, for, for that particular person, whether it's like worth or it's love or it's, and, and I think that, that we're tricked into thinking that's like, that comes in the form of a size zero or a size two or whatever that body is that you think if you achieve, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's I, speaking to a lot of like perfectionistic kind of mentality, mm-hmm. which, you know, I always explain as an insatiable appetite for more. And yeah. then no matter where you like, you'll reach a goal. Right. And then eventually, you know, and we think, oh, when I reach this goal, then I'll be happy, then I'll be satisfied or whatever. And you'll work hard and you'll get there. And then you have an iota of a second before eventually you feel good for a minute. And then your mind's like, well, actually, there's this next goal. And then when you get to this next goal, then you'll be happy, then you'll be satisfied. And that's how I felt about my body. And, you know, finally, when I got out of surgery, And I was like, I don't even know what else to do anymore. You know, like I lost the weight. I now, you know, because I was always like, it's because my hips are really big and I have no boobs. So that's why I'm unhappy. And then I got the surgery and it was just like, 
oh, I was like, I, I don't really know what to do now. Like, literally, this is like getting to be like a problem, obviously. And I think that's where a lot of like substances and addictions kind of come in is that you're like expecting this relief that you've been chasing by being totally consumed and addicted by that one behavior. And, and it sounds like in your instance, it was like, it was very fitness and food focused. And what I've found is that when I keep chasing these achievements, and for me, I think I can really relate on like on a on a work side of things and create in using that busyness to not fit, like feel fulfilled or sorry to to feel to not feel what's going on for me. It's like we continually hit these like milestones and goals that you 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 uh, set out for yourself, then you don't get the fulfillment. That was really a big driver for me uh, to use substances because I needed still some kind of like relief and I, and I was chasing it and not getting it and chasing it and not getting it. And um, it sounds like the almost like the surgery that you had was like that pivotal point of awareness where you're like, okay, shit, something deeper is going on here um, because a lot of people might be in a position like that and then they would just be like, oh, well, it must be about my body it wasn't the boobs and, and it just goes on to like into the next thing right and that's I think how addictions roll from from one thing to the next it's like okay well what else can I change about myself from here yeah I mean you see this all the time with plastic surgery and like you know being addicted to plastic surgery right well and the it is it's just I was thinking about this because my so my addiction you know after I healed my relationship with food and my body it became work, it became ambition, you know, and, and again, like, I feel like addictive behaviors, there's usually multiple going on at one time. And so like, that one was just like, got even the busyness and the work. And, um, you know, my, my dad was a workaholic, and I was a receiver of that. And that was really painful. But then when you become the workaholic, and you're in a relationship, and your partner starts to talk to you about your problem with working, you really just don't see it. And I didn't see it. And um, it was starting to affect our relationship really badly because I was just becoming so obsessed with the next milestone and to be successful and all the things. And um, it came to like a breaking point where he was basically ready to leave um, because I was just working so much. And, and I agreed with him like, I was in a really bad place and I was um, like, even when we watch a movie, I would have my laptop on my computer and I'd be working or he would go out and do something fun on the weekends. And I'm like, you go, babe, it's fine. I'll just stay home and work and blah, blah, blah. And he finally just broke down and was like, I love you, but I cannot be with you if you are working this much. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, okay. You know, like, and it was a big turning point, but what was interesting for me is when I started coaching a woman who was in a relationship with a workaholic. Mm. And that's where I really saw the pain that workaholism mm. can cause people um, because I had been in it and then I worked through it. And then I coached a woman who was with a workaholic and it was painful for me to hear from her about her husband always being gone and always being gone and always being gone. And what I did at one point is I just shared with her that I like apologized for him. I was like, I want you to know that he does not realize the pain that he is causing you. And as somebody who has been affected by, you know, drugs and alcohol addiction myself, I see that as intense 
of a statement this could be is workaholism could maybe even be more hurtful than, you know, a substance abuse problem, because I think we can easily say, well, the way that I justified it was I told myself that my parents are sick. They're sick. You know, like it's not you. There's nothing wrong with you. Like, you know, because we want to internalize it as, you know, loved ones that it must be there's something wrong with me. Yeah, I'm not Um, lovable. Yeah, exactly. And so then I just I was like, they're sick. That's it's not you. It's not that they don't want to spend time with you. It's not that you're a horrible person to be around. It's because they are sick. And like workaholism. It's encouraged almost in our society. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We live in a society that is obsessed with productivity. And so it it was so heartbreaking for me to talk to her every week and hear about how he justifies it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds so familiar. Like this was me for so long. And I even like apologized to my husband during that time of our life. I was like, I just, you have to know that I did not even realize how incredibly hurtful I was being to you. Like in my mind, I was doing everything right. I was trying to be successful, you know? And in return, I was really hurting you and our quality of life. And it's, it's so much easier, I think, to get hooked into because yeah, we're rewarded by it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, So have you seen a correlation uh, with your clients who do have, let's say, uh, a poor like self image of their bodies, uh, who also struggle with other types of addiction? Um, Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit, but I would say that most of the women that come into Wildly Alive, their main like addiction is their body mm-hmm. and like the, the hatred towards their body. Yeah. And yeah, like, of course, that's that also manifests in their relationship with exercise and food. But it's like this perpetual not enoughness with their body, no matter what their body looks like, no matter how well it performs, even if you don't give it any water or any sleep or damn, you haven't fed it a vegetable in, you know, days, even though it's still operating and giving to you 24 seven, it's this thought and feeling that it's, you're never enough. You're never going to be enough no matter what I do. I've definitely had similar feelings about my body like that over the years. And for me, it was almost like it, it increased my likelihood to use substances or alcohol because I already had such a resentment about my body. It didn't matter what I was putting into it if I was destroying it even further because I was already disgusted by it. Right. Well, yeah. And like, just to what Denise was saying, like the relief. Yeah. Because it's so, I mean, I'm not saying every single woman who comes in, it was as deep as I was, but I was I was thinking about food or exercise or my body at least every minute, you know, like I was, it it was disordered eating. It was disordered exercising. Like I had body dysmorphia. I was thinking about it all the freaking time. If I could go five to 10 minutes without thinking about it, it was a good day. And so you could totally see how, you know, smoking some weed or drinking could give you that relief to just freaking chill out and relax for a minute, you know? Yeah, I really relate to that. And uh, just like the, the consumption of thoughts that it takes either to a like 
manage and moderate alcohol or even just the food and body and diet negotiation that goes on. Like when I was fully consumed by that, it literally is an all day affair. It's like, there's a conversation going on in your head all the time. What are you eating later? How can I, you know, make up for those calories? How can I do X? Like, Oh, if I'm going out for dinner here, like maybe I should skip this snack over here. And it's like, it literally is a, its own full-time job. I loved one of the things that you said actually a little bit earlier in the podcast. And I want to circle back to it because I think that it really resonates with uh, the done with debauchery mission. Um, but you said that like one of the foundational components of wildlyalive.com is like a respect-based change versus one that comes from shame and hate. And you've given some really beautiful examples of um, like even with how your work addiction, like seeing, you know, seeing someone else, uh, receiving what that was like on the other end. And I'm just curious, like, or do you have any tips that you can kind of share with our community and listeners on how somebody that's maybe struggling with work addiction or, um, you know, a health obsession or alcohol addiction, like how to take, uh, something that they probably associate a lot of shame with right now and possibly some self-hate and move that in kind of a respect uh, based thinking so that like you can start some compassion around the change that you're starting to make. Yeah. Well, I mean, my mind automatically goes to like your body. So I'll just share that. And then if some other examples pop up, I'll definitely share those. But one, one really great way to look at, to have a perspective of your body is like thinking that you like personifying. I'm big into like personifying things. So personifying your, your body. So if your body was a living, breathing, feeling thing. So I have this plant on my body because while the alive really stands for, um, you know, if I was to look at a plant every day and say the things that most people say to their bodies every day, you're gross, you're ugly, you're not good enough. I'm not going to give you water. I'm not going to give you sun. I'm not going to give you the things you need to thrive then the plant is going to struggle to survive. And this is where I feel like most people are at with their bodies is they're not actually giving it the respect to be what they want it to be. And so if we can start looking at our body like a living, breathing, feeling thing as if it could speak, right? And it could tell us things and it has wisdom, which it does. Like that's the whole point is like your body can lead your food choices. Your body can lead your movement choices. You've just got to stop thinking that it's some strategy, which is what you were like just talking about is like that it's strategy. It's like it, we don't need strategy. Health is actually not a strategy, even though that is what is chronically talked about all the time. Eat this, not that. Only X amount of calories. Make sure you burn this many calories on the treadmill. Like it's not about strategy. True health and to feel good in your body is not about strategy. It's about looking and having this conversation with yourself on, is this really going to make me feel good? Like really just being honest with yourself. Does this make me feel good? Opening up the lines of communication, which then helps you step into a place of respect instead of shame. So like for me, I just had a baby like six weeks ago and Congratulations. I'm definitely, thanks. I'm definitely feeling the desire to move. I'm not feeling the desire to move because I look in the mirror and my stomach is all lumpy and gross and I'm holding on to 20 extra pounds. That's not why I want to move my body. Literally, I'm my back has been hurting and I love to walk. So if I do a little bit of yoga, I always have a little back relief. My body is speaking to me. She's saying, hey, girl, 
I'm in some pain. It's tight back here. Can we like do a little something to loosen it up? You know? (laughs) And I love to, I love to walk because walking makes me feel happy. It makes me feel good. And so the desire is stemmed from a place of like respect. She's kind of pulling me into this direction and that, and now will that result in, you know, weight loss or manipulation of the body? Yeah. More likely than not, it will, but at the root of it is not ill. Oh, that you just, yeah, you need to exercise or like, I don't know, stop eating the sugar or whatever girl, like, ugh, you know, like it's not based in that. It's like, what's going to make me feel good? How, how, what are some things that I can do that will make me feel good in my body? And it's just, it's a whole different conversation, but we have just been perpetually over and over. If you hate your body enough, you hate it enough, then you'll have the willpower to never eat sugar again. And it's like, really? Like, that's what I got to do. I have to hate myself that badly to never eat, you know, like it's just, it's so, it's so stressful and it's so, it kills your self-esteem. It, it, it destroys your relationship with yourself really. Yeah. And I was listening to uh, your podcast last night, actually. And I really liked uh, something you said in your first episode about changing the language around it. Like if you have an exercise obsession and you're working out to because you hate your body, changing the language about how you approach that and change it to like movement, like instead of exercising, I need to just move my body today and see how I feel in my body instead of just I need to run on the treadmill and burn 500 calories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and now I'm even thinking about like alcohol or something like that. And like, say you have a desire, a desire to have a drink or to have a second drink or a third drink or whatever, instead of automatically going into, well, you're trying to like stop drinking, you know, like this finger wagging we do with ourselves, ladies, is like this mother energy of no, 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 don't you have that second drink? You know, you're trying to be good. You're trying to, or you're trying to be sober. Don't, don't have that drink. You know. When we get into this mothering, finger wagging mentality, what happens is eventually the teenager rebel is going to come. Out <laughs> yeah. Say, oh, totally yeah? yeah. All right. So, you know, the mother can, the mother energy can only last for so long. But the more you push that mother energy, the stronger the rebel is going to come in eventually. And this is when the food aspect, the binging happens. Like the restrictor is the mother. No, no, no. And then the binger is the rebel teenager. And it's the same thing with alcohol. You know, it's the same thing. Like if you shame yourself, no, no, no. But when you like, in terms of like me and alcohol, I I very moderately drink barely ever. But sometimes if I want a second, I really stop and think about, okay, why do I want a second drink? Because usually just one is good for me. But if I want a second, I will have a little conversation with myself. and. More likely than not, it's like, well, how are you going to feel tomorrow after you, if you have two? Because I feel like I get hungover off of a glass of wine. So it's like, like, is it really worth it? Do you really want to? You know, like maybe I'm out with my friends and I haven't gone out in a really long time. And, you know, screw it. Let me have a second. I'm having a good time. Maybe. But most of the time, it's this conversation with myself of like respect. Like, OK, well, we're, like we're hanging out and whatever, you know, but if I really do decide to have a second, like, let's really think of how is that ultimately going to make me feel in an hour or tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really relate to the, the mother rebel archetypes that you just mentioned. And I think that 
um, for a lot of times, like even when I was, because I feel like for me, it's very difficult to just have one drink. And if I am, I'm like white knuckling that mother energy from like a shame perspective of don't do it. You've set this rule. Like, and if I go above and beyond it, there's like a shame component that I'm always trying to bring in to like motivate myself that I need from there to change instead of, um, bringing in that loving, compassionate energy of like who it is that I'm trying to become. And, um, I, I can really relate to that in dieting as well. It's like you white knuckle through following this like really crazy meal plan for as long as you can. And then it's on Saturday, you know, it's like your cheat day and you eat like pizza, McDonald's, you know, a bag of M&Ms, like literally until you feel sick because you've been white knuckling it and like shaming yourself the whole time. And then you just go off the rails to, to rebel. And it's this like yin and yang from one side of, uh, to the other. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. That's why yeah, cheat days are funny. Well, they just like really encourage this behavior, but I mean, like we don't have to go on this tangent now, but really a lot of this is stemming from childhood because a lot of parenting tactics for, for ages was shame-based, right? Mm-hmm. We want good behavior out of you. So why don't you go to your room, right? Like uh, we want you to have good behavior, you know, like it's not, it's not, it's not respect-based. And it really hit me with my son is he was, he was hitting the dog. And, you know, I was raised by this model as well. He was hitting the dog and I felt the desire to like slap him upside the head and be like, don't hit the dog. And I'm like, wait, hold on a minute. Hold on, this, this doesn't make any sense, yeah. right? <laughs> but like we, this is like a lot of the conversation, even in the parenting world is shifting to more, they don't call it respect-based, but you know, like I see it that we have been trained as children that to have good behavior, you just need to you know, give them a good smack and then, then they're going to be great, you know? And so like we have, this is, again, this is why the dieting industry also like can kind of create like a trauma response really is because we, this, this is how we were. Many people were raised this way. It's like, if I just hate myself enough, then I will be happy, which (laughs) is just hilarious when you really sink into your wisdom and you're like, does that really make sense? No, you know, but we've been like, again, it's been happening for forever. Yeah. And I think there's so much value in bringing, like in shedding a light on that, especially in terms of substance abuse. Cause I think a lot of people feel shame around questioning that relationship or possibly their behavior and things like that. Um, when they may be using substances and stuff like that. And it's just, so much more effective to bring that element of like compassion, understanding and respect to your motivation to change. Yeah. Nurturing. Who would have thunk yeah. it? You know, like, <laughs> but, but the interesting thing is, is what I have found is, um, you know, like it's really big in the, the personal development field is like when you have that voice that tells you that, you know, you shouldn't have the second cookie or whatever, you've worked so hard, you deserve the second cookie or whatever. You just have this aggressive energy to it. And you're like, go away, voice, ego, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, and that's what I used to teach for so long. But what I realized over time, and that really works for like people with, who have, who are a little more rough and tough around the edges, you know, like 
it's very easy for me to be a bitch. Like that's very easy. So I'm like, yeah, I can tell, I can tell my inner critic to go fuck off. Like, (laughs) but what I realized, especially with working with women who also were a little tougher around the edges is that more softer, compassionate approach where you like touch your body skin to skin and like breathe into it and kind of like do inner child work. It, it's so deeply uncomfortable for someone like me who was like, mm, I'll do it and do my way. It was so uncomfortable, but it's so transform- transformative. Like that can shift a behavior so much faster than just, you know, the mm, mentality. And it's uncomfortable. And that's what I say to a lot of women. I'm like, look, you know, if you're craving that third cookie, like take a deep breath, put your hand on your body so you can connect with her. And ask yourself, is this something you really desire? Like, is this about something deeper? Or do you really just desire a third cookie? Because that's okay. But like, just really create some inquiry in a conversation. And it's usually like, oh, I'm just, I'm just really stressed out. You know, I'm just, I just had a really bad day. And I just, I thought maybe cookies would make it feel better. Usually the wisdom will come through. And so the nurturing approach, though it's unconventional, becoming more conventional, um, but though it's unconventional and it's uncomfortable, especially if, you know, it, it you know, you got a little sass to you, um, it, it can really shift a behavior really quickly. Yeah. And I think that's such a beautiful perspective. And this has been such a great conversation. Like, I feel like you've said so many valuable things that I'm going to take away from this conversation and try to implement in my life and my relationship with my body. Um, So I don't know, like, are we good to leave it there? Before we say goodbye, uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media or listen to your podcast? Yeah, wildlyalive.com is probably the easiest place to stop. And you can see all the social media links on there as well, too. Perfect. And the podcast, sameteampodcast.com. You can go to that URL to find it. Perfect. This was beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is Denise and Keisha signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Done With Debauchery. See you next time.